So good morning, church. Uh, it's good to, to be here. And again, with, with uh, those who are in person and also via live stream, we are open on Sunday. We're incrementally doing more and more things, including in the very near future child care. So encourage you to come back if you're, unless you're immunocompromised. And just to be with the brethren, it's good to be with people, socially with people. So we're going through a portion of the Gospel of Luke. And one of the aspects of a parable is a parable is a simple story. Jesus told these simple stories that have an understandable but profound meaning. And these parables oftentimes just get under your skin and kind of give you a vexation and say, what's going on here? Or it gets in your brain and you can't get it out because it's just there. And so it's kind of like elevator music. Sometimes you get an elevator, you hear this dippy song, and it just goes on and on and on in your brain. But these are blazing truths that just get in your brain. So we're going to look at a parable this morning, that I, and especially with the first century audience just got in their brain, and they were going, what in the world? It's the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And it's in Luke chapter 18. Hear the scripture, starting in verse 9 and going through verse 14. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. May God bless to our understanding his word. So, so simple parable, two men, two prayers, two outcome. Two men. The first man that's described is a Pharisee. A Pharisee was kind of, they were a recent like the 150 years before Christ, a group of people that wanted to reform Judaism. They were the purity party. They were exact about all types of fastidious rules and regulations. So they took the law of Moses and they put layer after layer after layer after layer on it. They were elitist. Uh, they thought that they were the A-team, the travel squad. They were God's anointed we find Jesus in Matthew 23 having some pretty harsh things to say about the Pharisees. He has seven woes about the Pharisees. And he says the third woe was about the way they, they kept their word. Listen to Matthew 23. This is verse 16 and following. Jesus says, Woe to you blind guides, Pharisees, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple... He is bound by his oath. You blind fools. It's a strong, blind fools. 
He says, for, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And, 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 and you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. He is, which is of greater, the gift or the oath? Or the altar that made the gift sacred. In other words, Jesus says, it's just silly. You say, if anybody swears, I swear I did this, I'll do this by the temple. You're not bound to do that. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, then you're bound to do it. If you say, so I swear by the altar where the sacrifice for my sins is laid, it's no big deal. But if you swear by the sacrifice that is on the altar, it's a big deal. In other words, unless you pinky swear, you can get out of your contracts. You go to the book of James, the brother of Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be a man or a woman of your word. That's the Pharisees. And there's a subset of the Pharisees called the scribes. They were Pharisees, but they were a subset. And Jesus said this about the scribes. He says, be very wary of the scribes. This is verse, Luke 20, verse 46 and 47. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. And have and love the greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feast. But they devour widows' houses and for appearance or pretense, they make these long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. They like to go around in their long robes, which means I'm a scribe. Look at me, I'm a scribe. I've got the long robe on. Look at me, I'm a scribe. And they, they love to receive high fives in the marketplace or elbow bumps, whatever we do now. They love to have the, the best seats at the wedding feast and then the houses of worship to be honored. But in reality, they go around and they, they listen, they devour widows' houses. You can't get any worse than that. Widow, unprotected women, they devour their houses. And, and, and really, as a pretense, just for an appearance, they, they make these long prayers that doesn't reflect their heart. And Jesus says, they will be judged more harshly. Strong word. So, so that, that, that's the Pharisees. And then you got the tax collectors. But the Pharisees, you know, purity party, tax collector. Tax collector, you have to understand this. We, we, don't, we can't understand this very well. If you lived in Vichy, France in World War II, maybe you could understand it. But the tax collectors, Vichy, France being the French part that was conquered by the Nazis. But in, the, the tax collectors, here's their deal. They purchased a tax area. They were Jews. And the tax collectors were given this amount of money by the Romans you had to raise in taxes. But everything above that went into your pocket. So it's a good deal. So you got, you're taking this, but everything above that goes into your pocket. And they were hated by the Jews. They despised them. In fact, this little statement here, Jesus says that, that the Pharisees said in his prayer, which I'll cover next, he says, God, I'm, I'm glad I'm not, uh, I'm glad I'm not, um, like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or a tax collector. And many people who take this passage and say, he was describing many tax collectors. They were, they were liars. They cheated. And they had tons of money to buy all the women they wanted. They were bad people. They were hated. In fact, in this day, there were three groups you could lie to with abandon in, in the Jewish mind. You could lie to thieves murderers and tax collectors. 
If you're a Jewish parent and you have a son that's grown to adulthood and he's a tax collector and you went to a dinner party and you meet people that really don't know you and they have the conversation, you say, I have a son. You say, what is this, your son's livelihood? You would never say, my son is a tax collector. You just wouldn't do it. You'd lie. You'd lie. Because the tax collectors were despised by the populace. And then they, two, two men to make the prayer. The first prayer is by the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood in the middle and he, he started his prayer. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. He prayed about himself. He says, he says it's all about what I have done. And so he stood up and he wanted everybody to see him and to hear his prayer. And he was so outspoken about what he has done. And, and listen, it's good to fast. I think it's biblical to tithe. But, but he was using these things as a means of earning God's favor and proclaiming to everyone around him that he was above the rest. The Pharisee. Meanwhile, the tax collector was in the corner. He wouldn't, up, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He didn't want anybody to see him. And he beat on his breast, which is a sign of deep repentance and sorrow. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, the Pharisee was using his acts to say, these acts make me acceptable before God. And I'm going to say that many of us, I think maybe all of us who know Jesus, are recovering Pharisees. Our hearts are spring low to think we've got to do, do, do. See, the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 20, that, that, that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become aware of our sin. So really, as you study the Bible and you, this, you see what God requires, you go, man, I, I, I can't do it. I, I blow. And so that's why the Sermon on the Mount is so important when Jesus is talking about, uh, about the standards of God's law. And he says, let me give you two examples. He said, uh, the Bible says in the Sixth Commandment, the law of Ten Commandments, the sixth one, thou shalt not murder. Everybody went, yeah. Jesus, but I tell you that if you look at a brother with anger in your heart and you say about him, you are a fool or a blockhead, you've broken the sixth commandment. And everybody there in their heart went, oh no, I've done that maybe this week, maybe this month, but I do that. I call people fools. I get upset with people and say, you. Come on. And then we went to the next, the seventh commandment. And he kind of looked at all the guys. And there he says, the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, without going into detail, there was a school of thought. There was a group of people in Judaism that they called the Shammai school and the Hillel school. The Shammai school was very conservative. The Hillel school was really broad and liberal. And the Hillel school, look at the seventh commandment, says there are a lot of things you can do. Wink, wink, nod, nod, wink, wink. There's a lot of things you can do with a young woman before you have actual intimacy. So... And so you says, the Bible says don't commit adultery. But I tell you that if you looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery and you're guilty. And every man there in, his, in the silence of his heart went, oh, no. You see, th these things are to drive us to the cross and to say, I can't do without the reality of Christ. That's why John Calvin says this very early 
in the Institutes. He talks about we, we must be so stung by our unhappiness, by the consciousness of our own unhappiness as to obtain at least some knowledge of God, the one who is full of abundance and good. Stung. See, unless I am stung by my unhappiness. I mean, this, this tax collector was stung. Beating his breast in the corner. Don't look at me. I've blown it. I'm a, I'm a cast out. I, I'm, I'm a turncoat. I'm a traitor. God have mercy on me. So here, here's my thesis. My thesis is that every person here is at times a Pharisee, but we are always always tax collectors. We have a pharisaical attitude at times, but we're really tax collectors. So, so the two results, and this is, where, this is where everybody just basically lost it. Jesus says, the tax collector went home justified before the father, not the other dad, not the, not the Pharisee. Everybody went, oh my goodness. See, so it got in their brain. It got under their skin. I'll give you four points from this text. Number one, I, want you, I hope you don't, don't get okay. There's a difference when it comes to the gospel of grace, which is this. There's a difference between knowing the gospel and knowing the gospel. See, the Pharisee said, God, I thank you. I mean, he started out okay. The difference between knowing the gospel and being consumed and saturated by the glory of the gospel that's in the face of Jesus. See, so I, I think when I read the Bible, the Bible time after time says, wake up, wake up, wake up. Psalm 103 is a wake up psalm. The psalmist says, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And then he just missed some of them. He says, he forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and tender mercies. He renews you so that your youth is like the eagles. The Lord God has compassion upon you. So he, he just goes through, he says, I think one of the psalmists is saying is, wake up, so wake up. Just remember that your sins are forgiven. Remember that he heals your diseases and he watches over you. Remember that he's brought your life out of the pit. You just, just stop and think where you could have gone. Brothers and sisters bought by the blood of Jesus. Just remember where you could have gone. If you're older, you look at contemporaries who are much more talented, much brighter, and their lives are not good because... They went to the wrong place, made the wrong decisions. God hemmed you in. He redeemed your life from the pit. He crowns you with tender mercy and loving kindness. He renews your energy. And so, so he's saying, wake up, soul, wake up. Remember. So I need to know the gospel. That's why I love Galatians 6.1. It addresses the spiritual leaders in the church, the elders, people in charge of ministry. It says this, brothers, if, if anyone is caught in any trespass or transgression or sin, you who are spiritual, go and restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. 
as you watch over yourself, lest you be tempted by sin. So, so, so in other words, if, if, if and when a brother or sister is trapped in sin, then those of you who are the community group leaders, elders, deacons, table leaders, whatever, you go and you restore them. You don't ignore it. We're to watch over each other. You go and you humbly restore them with a spirit of gentleness and kindness as you watch over your own heart that could easily go in the same direction. So, so see, if, if, if we claim to be leaders in the church and we're not gentle and kind and consumed with the gospel, we can't be leaders. If we don't understand this gospel of grace, if we don't sing one of the little lines in Amazing Grace that goes like this, "'Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." Amen. I'm, I'm a debtor to grace. See, the problem with the Pharisee is he used these acts to say, I'm on God's team. I do these things. Aren't I a good boy? There's nothing wrong with, with the disciplines. I believe in spiritual disciplines, but it's so easy. Listen, it's so easy to take the spiritual disciplines, like I've read the Bible every day this week. No. I fasted one day this week. I prayed this week. I took a meal to somebody that was hurting this week that my wife made. Went out of my way two miles coming home. I'm a good guy. I did some of those things this week, some of those things I didn't do this week. So a long time ago, in a galaxy far away, far, far away when I was a boy, went to a Baptist church and they had these, these ribbons they would give people, like Bible read. Through, through this year. Perfect attendance this year. Stuff like that. Men and women wear it. How do you raise a Pharisee? You do that. That's what you do. Aren't I a good guy? Look at me. And it's so easy. To, 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 I love the disciplines. I love getting up. I'm, I'm an early morning person. I love reading the Bible. I, I love that stuff. But if I start thinking, if I don't do that, I'm off the team. And if I do that, I'm a special guy. Man, that, I don't understand the gospel. Now, let me, I didn't do this. I, 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 this illustration may not work. But I'm trying to, I want to drive this home. So hear this illustration to me. I didn't do this in the last hour. So I'm going to, this sermon's going to be longer because I'm really listening. Okay. Okay. Listen. To me, people that kind of know the gospel, know God, yeah. Or like people, they're working, working in a five-story five office building, and you're, you're working, let's say you're an architect, you're at your desk, and all of a sudden somebody says, you know, I, I smell smoke. The guy says, yeah, I'm, I'm a guy, I can't smell very well, but I, even I smell smoke, you know. And so um, you're going, what's going on? And, and all of a sudden, a fireman comes in in his regalia, and his, he's got his axe in hand, his helmet. He says, you know, there's a fire on the fifth floor. Uh, we're going to ask you to vacate the building so you won't be in, involved in smoke inhalation and possible injury. So please leave right now. And you get up, and the arm goes off, and you leave, and you go home, and you turn on the news, and you see where the building was consumed by fire. And you say to yourself, man, I'm... I'm really glad the fireman came in and told us to leave. I was getting ready to leave anyway, but man, that was really, I'm, I'm glad he did that. He, I'm glad firemen are on the, on the ball. No, they so that, that, they, they kind of know the gospel, kind of, kind of, sort of. People that know the gospel are on the fifth floor. 
You're on the fifth floor. All of a sudden, fire has engulfed your building. The beams are falling around you. You try to get out, but smoke overcomes you. You fall down. You can't breathe. And you're bleary-eyed. And, and you're passing out. And as you're passing out, you hear a crash through the door. And a, you see this big person come through. And he bends down. He puts an oxygen mask on your face. And he says a few words to you in all the melee. And he picks you up and he carries you down five flights and he takes you out and gives you to the EMS people. They get the gospel. You don't say, man, I'm really glad the fire department's around. You say, I love firemen. If I have a baby, I'm name my baby Fireman or Smokey the Bear, something like that, because I love firemen. But even my illustration doesn't, doesn't work because the Bible says when we were dead in sins, not Smoke inhalation up, dead, God saved us. So I, I, so I, I guess I look at this and I say, I've got to know the gospel. Number two, as I look at this, I, I've got to, to, to combat creeping Pharisaism, which is in my heart. It's in your heart. To combat creeping Pharisaism, I must rehearse the gospel every day. I've got to know the gospel. I've got to preach the gospel to myself. I've got to put on the gospel every day. I've got to have my... Ephesians 6, I've got to have my feet shod with the perspiration of the gospel of peace. Boom. So I walk in the gospel. In 2 Peter, Peter says, you know, you've been saved. God's worked in your heart. Now, give great energy to add to your faith. Eight disciplines. And it ends with brotherly kindness and love. And then he says this, verse 8. For if these qualities self-control, perseverance, gentleness. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, see, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Increasing. But if anyone lacks these qualities, he is nearsighted and blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So I look at this and I go, it is possible for believers in Jesus to not go forward and to leave off the watch and to become blind to the glory of the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. I need to push forward. It is impossible brothers and sisters, to stand at the foot of the cross and look at the bleeding Savior and then to look down on people. You <laughs> just can't do it. People say, well, how, how do you combat elitism or racism or sexism? I said, man, if you're a believer, you stand at the foot of Jesus and you look at the glory of the cross. Thanks be to God for the simplicity of the gospel. Let me tell you a story I read this week, there's a, there's a, a, a man named Godo Scalzi in Italy. And as a young man, he raised in the Catholic tradition. He came to his parents and he said to his parents, who were very observant Catholics, I want to become a priest. And so they were thrilled. In 1932, Mr. Scalzi went into trained to be a priest. He went into a, a monastery for four years. He said in the mountains of Italy, they didn't have running water or heat. And every morning he had to get up at 5 o'clock and either make a fire or gather water. It depends on the season. 
And they had discipline from 5 o'clock until they went to bed at 11 o'clock every day, 365 every day, every day. I mean, discipline seven times of prayer, seven times of this. I mean, it's just amazing. And he completed that, and then he went to four years further of systematic training in theology and history and so forth and so on. And so finally, eight years later, he's ordained as a priest. And his parents are so proud. And he said, I had no peace. No peace. He teaches. He teaches at a school for all throughout World War II in 1945. He's teaching at a school. He's teaching history and geography and, 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 and Italian syntax and diagrams. And he says, I'm walking down the street. And he says, I passed by a, a Baptist church. Having a Baptist church, and I thought, you know, I'd, I'd like to meet the head priest in there and just talk to him. And he goes in, he meets this guy; he's a very simple guy, and they talk. And the man says, you know, you've got a lot of knowledge, Grado. You got a lot of knowledge, but have you really read the Bible? I said, well, read the Bible. And he said, you know, I really hadn't read the Bible that much. So, so I started reading the Bible. And I had a lot of questions, and I was transferred to another monastery to teach at a local school. And he said, I. I was walking down the street one day and a man stopped me and said, my pastor asked me to look for you. I work here at the monastery. His friend, a Baptist pastor, wrote him and said that you're in the area. Maybe you should come see him. He said, I'd like to go see him. And so he wrote a letter to this pastor and he opened his home. He and his wife opened the home to to this priest and he went in there and uh, he said, as soon as I entered the door, I was offended. He said, this man was a peasant. He said, the home was nothing. And as soon as we started talking, I could tell he had very little education. But I didn't want to be rude, so I sat down with him, and we were having a meal. And as we talked, he told me a story out of John 3 about a guy named Nicodemus that came to Jesus at night. And Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, you must be born again. And the preacher looked at him and said, Brother Guido, are, are you, have you experienced that? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And dismissed him, and he was getting ready to leave. And the, the pastor said, can, can I pray for you? He said, yes, pray for me. He said, then he said, he started, he lifted his hands and he prayed an impassioned prayer. And he asked that God would work in my life and that I would understand that my sins are covered by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. He said it three times. May you see that his blood, his sins are covered by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Not by works and sacrament. But, and he said, I walked out of there and I couldn't get that out of my mind. And a few weeks later, he repented of his sins, came to faith, ended up leaving his orders and established something called Hope for Italy for the next two decades where he preached the gospel. Now, I say that, this is a great story, but I say that to say, thanks be to God for the simplicity of the gospel. Here's a very learned, trained, articulate, principled man who met a peasant who just understood that the blood of Jesus covers our sin. He is our substitute who died on the cross for our sin. The judgment that I deserved fell upon him. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that son fulfilled the sacrificial system. He died in my place. And I want you to understand that. I want you to really get it. I hope you have. The third thing is this. It's impossible to trust in self-righteousness in what I do and not treat people with contempt. It just is. You know it and I know it. 
you know, you, you go through life and you think, well, I've graduated with this GPA and I've gotten this graduate program and I've gotten this job and I live at this address and I've done this because I worked hard and because I did this and I did that. And then there's some truth to that. But when you say that time after time, the, the glory of the cross and the forgiveness of sin and the binding effect that Jesus has in bringing all things together goes out the back window. And there's something in the late 1800s called Horatio Alger stories written by a guy named Horatio Alger about people that were poor and deprived and depressed and destitute, but they worked and they worked and they worked and they became rich and successful and a great entrepreneur and people celebrated Horatio Alger stories. And they're good stories to a point. But instead of saying that, we ought to go through life saying, and Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a terrible mark. He made make, make me whiter than snow. I, I glory in the gospel. And if I think that it's all about me and my self-righteousness and, and, and my attainment in, in graduate school or in my marriage or in my parenting, and it's not the grace of the Lord that the gospel dies a thousand deaths. And that's why the, the incredible metaphor that Jesus used in Matthew 7, he says, you know, it says, you know, your brother has a speck in his eye, but you've got a log in yours. He says, first get the log out of your eyes, then, see, then help your brother get the sawdust out of his eye. But see, we've got logs. By grace, we take them out and we help our brothers get the sawdust out of his eye. It's impossible to trust in self-righteousness and not treat people with contempt. Now I look at people all the time. I listen to them, and I say, "Man, they just are—they have—they have—they have, they have a, a contempt for this person." We live in this, man. I may mention this next week. But we live in this year, this year of election, and I, tell, I don't watch the news. I do not watch the news. I, I read newspapers. I read a couple of good posts. That's it. But because the, the contempt for one party, for the other, and the vitriol is just, it poisons my spirit. And if you are a self-righteous, I've done it all, it's up to me, I call the shots person, it's, listen, it's impossible to not treat people with contempt. Boy, there's a lot I want to say on this, but I tell you, I just, uh, okay, I'll say this. We, we, we talk about other cultures or other people groups. And you, do you ever stop and say, you know, I was, I'll, I'll think about me. I'll just talk about me. I was raised in a very lower middle class home. Never had a lot of money, but I had a mama and daddy that loved me. And they cared for me. They believed in me. And they, I was the first person in my family to go to college, my extended family, both sides. Um, and, and they encouraged me to get an education. And still, today, they care for me. Now, you, you, that alone puts me in the one percentile of the whole world. So should we walk around with a self-congratulatory spirit? No, we should go around saying, I am what I am by the grace of God. Okay, number four. This man went home justified, the tax collector. And the word justified means more than just his sins were forgiven. It means that he, it means that he, he was set free. It means that he had a right relationship with God. He was just set free. This man went home justified. It's an amazing statement. And I tell you, when Jesus said that, everybody that heard him 
went, holy camoli. However you say that in Aramaic or, or Hebrew. Good grief. Whatever. I mean, you're telling me that the tax collector went home right with Abba Father and the Pharisee who was on the A-team of everything we ever believe we should do did not. Wow. Here's the rest of the story. And we'll see it again in about three weeks. But what happened is, again, it gets under your skin. It gets in your brain. You can't get it out. So people go out and they say, this is what Jesus said. This is what this peripatetic rabbi who walks around teaching said. Unbelievable. He said that the tax collector went home justified. And the Pharisee did not. Unbelief. So the, they started talking. And then somebody had a friend that was kind of knew the tax collector. And they said to this tax collector, this is the story we heard the other day that Jesus told. And on it. And the tax, the tax collector local union network started saying, this is the story we've heard. This guy, this guy, this teacher that everybody, a lot of people like, says that tax collectors went home justified. Can you believe this? Wow. We're going to meet a tax collector in a couple of few weeks who was the chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector. <laughs> no, he was the chief tax collector. And the Bible says that he was a very wealthy man. And we know from the rest of the story, and he was short. And his name was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus got it. Because when Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to town, he climbed up in a tree and people said he, because he wanted to see the Lord, and people said, well, he wanted to be able to see the Lord. I said, yes, but also if you're a tax collector, you don't want to be standing in a group of fellow Jews because all of a sudden people, somebody would have kind of a seizure and just bloody your nose. And uh, somebody else would have a fit and step on your foot, and somebody else would hit you in the stomach. You don't want to be, you know. So it's safe in the tree. It's not safe down here. But he got it. He saw his need. And so that, that's, that's what this story is all about. Do I see my need? Do I preach the gospel to myself? Do I love people? Do, do, do I look at folks that I would normally scorn with contempt and say, God, have mercy upon them? This parable gets under your skin or it gets into your heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, this clear story, Jesus. Did you just tell clear stories like this? And I, I pray you'd save us from creeping Phariseeism and performance, and I pray that you would make us men and women who love the gospel. I even pray this week we would think of um, a, a person or a group that kind of we avoid, and we would make an effort to just touch base and communicate and express concern or love or empathy do that, Lord. May the gospel really, really change us and keep us humble and kind and approachable and gentle like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.